This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 1037, the game. And good morning, Acadiana. Hopefully you're having a good one. And more importantly, you're getting ready to stay safe. You're making those final preparations before Hurricane Ida makes her visit on this Louisiana Saturday morning. But here's the thing. We're going to give you the latest concerning the Hurricane Ida that's going to be making landfall, I think, midday tomorrow from what I've been kind of surmising in all this, from what I've been able to kind of read. We're going to have on good friend of the program, excuse me, Chris Kozart. We're going to have Chris Kozart on the program at 1045. We're going to get to some other stuff as well, because trust me, we got two hours, and I think we've got more than enough to get to. And we got a lot to cover. There's good news and bad news. The bad news is we're not going to get to it all right here, right now. But the good news is, is I got the time. We definitely have the time, and of course, we're coming to you live, as always, from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. And once again, appreciate you listening in however you're doing so, be it through the 1037 The Game mobile app, the .com, or even, especially through the smart speakers that you got, the Tower of Power that is 1037 The Game. The Tower of Power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. Ooh, yeah! It is definitely a good Saturday, because, well, today is a college football Saturday. It's week zero, yes, but it's still college, honest to God, football, and I'm absolutely loving it, and I would absolutely be loving being able to go catch the NCCU Sound Machine and Alcorn State square off head-to-head Battle of the Band style live in living color, but I'm glad to be here with you on this Louisiana Saturday morning on the day before a hurricane is supposed to make landfall. Again, we'll get the latest with Chris Cozart of KLFY. We'll talk to him about that and so much more. But let's get down to brass tacks here and get to the heart of the matter. What's causing all this on a Louisiana Saturday morning? This will be the only time I really talk NFL on this show today because it's definitely going to be more college football oriented. And let's get that going with your Saturday sports sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday sports sermon. When I woke up on Friday morning, I had a lot of existential fear. I had a little bit of a crisis on my hands. Because I was wondering, one, what was going on with this hurricane in the Gulf? How stronger, it, how much stronger it could be? Looks to be, could be a Category 3 at landfall. Again, we'll get some more information. We'll get the answers straight from 
the horse's mouth, if you will. Not the hurricane, obviously. But a lot of it had to do with the quarterback battle between Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill as we were approaching a preseason finale game that eventually was canceled. However, just as I was about to leave the humble abode on Friday morning, I got a notification that changed my mood when it comes to that. And that was the fact that Jameis Winston had won the starting job. And before today, I was going to say he was already the guy after what he did on Monday night against the Jacksonville Jaguars. 9 of 10, a couple touchdowns, including one that looked like on paper to be one of the most impossible touchdown passes I've seen the Saints have in a long time. And, of course, I'm talking about the one in the end zone to Marquez Callaway, who is without a doubt going to be the number one kind of contender for that wide receiver spot with Michael Thomas out for at least the first four, maybe six weeks at max. It made me think this is going to be the future. This is going to be the face of this franchise. But then the other questions started to pop up. And I'm glad about the fact that we don't have much of a quarterback controversy. And I'm also kind of sort of glad that we didn't have the final preseason game. Make sure everybody's rested up, ready to go for this big game against Green Bay. But you also know for a fact who you're going to throw out there week one. That said, it bears repeating for me that the New Orleans Saints have another question they'll have to answer. And I think it's going to be something you'll have to try and ask yourself. And the Saints are going to have to ask themselves over the next several weeks during the season. What's the leash on Jameis Winston? What is that? Like, it makes me wonder because I've said it before. He went 9 out of 10 on Monday night, but what if he doesn't do that when the real live bullets are flying and you're playing against some of the elite teams, namely a team like Green Bay? Come out of the gate playing the Green Bay Packers. And then you play the Carolina Panthers, the Patriots, who look to be a little bit better, and the New York Giants, who are looking to get above 500. But that's the whole thing, if we're talking about the Saints, is you started that season 0-3 or or 1-2. I think there might be some credence towards Sean Payton pulling out a card, not literally, but a card that says Taysom Hill needs to be the guy. Look at where we're at. Let's give him a shot, see what we can do. And I'm hoping I'm dead wrong about this, but I just feel like he wants to prove a point because Sean Payton has shown us for years, and I've said it before, for a long time, that Sean Payton loves to say that he's the smartest guy in the room. He loves to say that he knows what he's doing. He loves to just prove himself to be the smartest guy in the room, even if it blows up in his face. And this has been a prime example of that what he's done if you see Jameis Winston underperform or underwhelm in the first like few games of the season I wouldn't be surprised if Taysom Hill takes over which is not what you want to see if you're the New Orleans Saints or any other franchise in the league is to see your starting quarterback underperform underwhelm and then you have to kind of go back and forth and figure out what's going to work for you it's just you wonder is it going to be a very short leash where the second he underperforms, like in week one, if he throws three picks, 
that's about it. See ya. We're going to go ahead and go with Taysom Hill going forward. Or is this going to be more of a waiting process to see if he's going to be more of a quarterback that we saw during the 30-30 year that got him out of Tampa Bay? I feel like like Jameis Winston deserves this spot, especially after what I saw on Monday night and the way he's performed like throughout the rest of camp. Because that's one of the biggest things. He performed so much better down the stretch of this training camp and the preseason. Wish we would have seen a little bit more out of him, but the reports are coming out. Jameis Winston going to be your starting quarterback. It's a great move. I'm just wondering how long is this leash going to be if the Green Bay defense eats up Jameis Winston like he eats a bunch of doves, like Pac-Man eats dots. If that's the case, this Saints season is going to have a lot of ups and downs. And that's not what we as Saints fans are used to in the sense of the last like 10, 15 years. Go back to 2006 when Drew Brees took over. You immediately went from being one of the most horrible teams to being one of the best and making it to the NFC title game. And if not for just a horrid performance all the way around in the Windy City in late January, the Saints could have made the first Super Bowl in 06. They were able to turn it around in a few short years. They had an eight-year eight, eight in there. I think people forget about that. I know, I know I'm a, Kevin Foote talks about the lost season. I think people forget about that 8-8 eight eight year after the Saints wound up making it to the NFC title game. They had a year where they regressed back down to the mean, but then they bounced back a couple years later. We were able to win the Super Bowl. If you have this situation where you're having to figure, still figure out who your guy is, the old saying goes, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. If you have two quarterbacks, you have none. And it's not going to be a great look for your franchise. And that's how I feel like things could go. I'm not saying it will. I'm saying it could. It's something to think about before the season starts. Because Jameis is the guy that's going to be leading this franchise into this brave new world without Drew Brees. What's going to happen when Sean Payton sees Jameis Winston underperform or underwhelm? What's going to happen if Jameis Winston like outshines Taysom Hill in such a way to where you're considering maybe in the trade deadline letting a guy like Taysom walk? Because you know that he, he's probably going to wind up at a better spot somewhere else. We were seeing Gardner Minshew got traded to the Philadelphia Eagles earlier today. after A couple days after Trevor Lawrence was announced as the starting QB. Minshew Mania now in Philly with an opportunity to grow more as a backup quarterback to Jalen Hurts, but still, you're going to have a better opportunity there to actually play. But it's interesting just to see what's happening with this franchise. And don't get me started on if we see Taysom Hill suck it up, because then we get to the Ian Book nightmare scenario. And I'll say this, Ian Book looked better than I thought he would in that first preseason game. I didn't see much of him in game two because once I saw Jameis Winston do what he needed to do, I'm like, all right, I've seen enough. I can move on. I saw a little bit of Taysom, and Taysom had, hit, had regressed a little bit. And I say a little bit because he still was, like, looking good. He still had some moments that were like, okay, he looks to be 
much more poised as a quarterback versus having to be a Swiss Army knife. He's improving. He's making those moves. But I'm just not sure if now's the time to really fire off and say, hey, he's our guy. I, he made, I think that Sean Payton made the right decision, but I'm hoping he doesn't welch on this. He doesn't go back on it and start saying, hey, I'm going to give Taysom Hill this shot in like week three. I don't want to see that because then you're going to see Sean Payton hot potato that starting quarterback role, a lot like WCW did the world heavyweight title in the year 2000. It's going to be an absolute mess if you're the New Orleans Saints, and that's not what you want. You don't want to have inconsistency at the quarterback position. I talk about consistency a lot, especially on the offensive line. It's important. Continuity is there. But continuity at quarterback is probably 100 times more important. I don't know why we're continuing to wonder what's happening with this franchise, and we're questioning, is he going to be the quarterback going forward, or is he just a starting quarterback for now because Taysom Hill maybe has underwhelmed more than he would have liked during the season, during the preseason, during training camp? Because I think Taysom Hill had like full expectations to start a quarterback this season, and I think it was justified because he had a really good shot. He's been in the program for the last few years. He spent some time with Sean Payton. Sean Payton has taken a liking to him a lot more than probably any other backup quarterback the Saints have had over the years. I'd probably say he is second only to Teddy Bridgewater. His Teddy Two Gloves had an absolute chance to be a starting quarterback. And I think Teddy Bridgewater has proven himself to continue to get these opportunities and justifiably so. We see him out there. He just got announced as a starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos. Is there going to be a short leash on him because of some of the past that he's had in the NFL? Namely, you know, the last couple of years and last year, especially with the Carolina Panthers. Teddy Bridgewater was able to parlay a 5-0 record into a big deal with the Carolina Panthers. Now he's with the Denver Broncos after one year. Mind you, I think that was more because of the fact we're without Chris McCaffrey for like a 90% of the year. And that makes me kind of wary on getting him. If I'm the number, if I'm the number one pick in a fantasy league, and by the way, I'm going to mention this before we take a quick timeout. But if I'm in fantasy and I have the number one pick, I'm not taking Christian McCaffrey. I'll tell you why. I don't want a court running back that just got injured. That's coming off of an injury. What if it starts to become clear he's going to be more injury prone? Then you're kind of screwed. That's just the way I think about it. But hopefully we see. Jameis Winston prove a lot of people wrong and more importantly prove to Sean Payton that he made the right choice. No need to go smartest man in the room and throw Taysom Hill out there as the starting quarterback after like week three. I'm using week three as just an arbitrary number. But before we take a quick timeout, we've obviously got something big going on this week. And that is the fact that, you know, we've been doing our watch party, excuse me, our fantasy football parties at Twin Peaks on Johnston. Mine is going to be moved over to Thursday, mainly because the fact that on Wednesday we're going to have a little bit of a day game starting at 3 o'clock right here on 103.7, the game between the Astros and the M's. So that's going to happen. And then on Thursday, I'll be out at Twin Peaks on Johnson, getting ready for 
my fantasy draft. So anybody who's in my fantasy draft right now, you need a rem- just a reminder, just a refresher, that come on over on Thursday, Twin Peaks on Johnson. The draft will be starting at 6.30. And if you haven't signed up yet, we got 8 out of 10 already in the system. So we got two spots that need to be finalized. If you haven't seen your email yet, make sure to check your junk email. And if you haven't seen it, just DM us, message us on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, Telegram maybe. Just hit us up. Let us know if you haven't gotten your email yet because I've been sending invites out regularly as we're leading up to it. Just make sure we get you in because I want you in. So we can get this thing going on Thursday, and I can finalize the teams right then and there, and make sure everybody's happy. Because that's what that's what I want to do as the commission of the Under the Dome Fantasy League. All right, we're gonna take a quick timeout. We're gonna have on a special guest on the program, Shayhan Jayaraja. We're gonna have him on talking Texas Longhorns. We're gonna get a little preview from their perspective heading into the big game against the Louisiana Raging Cajuns in just seven days. And also, we're going to have on, let me go ahead and pull this up, another guy who covers the UCLA Bruins, Joe Pachowski. He's going to be talking the Bruins heading into their big game against LSU, which you'll hear right here on 1037 The Game, which is also your home for Under the Dome at Acadiana's number one sports station. Back after this. sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp but under the dome with cd goes one higher why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder these guys to 11 now back to the show that brings the heat on acadiana's sports station 1037 the game it most certainly brings the heat especially when it comes to just coverage of college football is this kind of where i want to go for the next like bulk of this show we're obviously going to get to some other stuff. There's some other things that have definitely popped up over the last few days that I want to get into, and we're going to do that. We're going to spend some time getting into the conversation about, you know, some soccer because some big news happened yesterday that as a Manchester United fan, I'm absolutely over the moon about. But we'll save that more for a little bit later on in the program. More importantly, let's get into some Sunbelt Conference talk for a few minutes. Before we get on, Shehan Jayaraja. He is a sports writer, free agents, covers up for Dave Campbell's Texas football, which is a massive thing over there. And it's absolutely cool to get him to talk about the Longhorns from his perspective. And we're also going to have the UCLA perspective at 1130. We're also going to have Chris Cozart join the program from KLFY talking the latest with this storm because there is obviously a lot going on. And I want him to kind of keep it 100 and more importantly give you the latest deets concerning this storm. But I want to get into some conversation real quick on the Sunbelt Conference and some of my perspective on things. First off, let me just go ahead and get into a tier list conversation. And that's where I'm going to kind of start things here. It's just wondering, like, what's going on? Like, where do a bunch of teams kind of stand? Like, is I've just been thinking about that for a while. Like, where do they stand in terms of the rankings in my mind preseason. 
And I'm going to go ahead and do tier lists. I'm going to probably spend some time on different teams. Maybe not as much on the teams in the bottom tier, but I'm going to give you an idea of where I think things are. Tier 1, without a doubt, it's the Cajuns. And it's Coastal Carolina. What? Coastal Carolina. What? I keep telling you it's Coastal Carolina. What? Coastal Carolina. Then there's also App State. Tier 2 is going to be Arkansas State and Georgia State. Tier 3, probably an amalgamation of Troy and Texas State. I'd probably put South Alabama there. But South Alabama just does not sell me enough on them. And I'll kind of get to them in a, in a few minutes because I have some just very pointed thoughts on, on that team. Georgia Southern, UL Monroe round out Tier 4 alongside the Jags. And I'll start with the Chanticleers because I feel like they're the team that we – obviously we can talk about the Cajuns until our heads like spin, but you know I want to start with them first. The Chanticleers – I don't have any hate in my heart for Colson. I didn't like the fact that they had COVID and the the game couldn't be played. And he, but, again, that's more me probably more pissed off at the conference than the actual Santa Clears because I can't be mad at them for getting COVID. I can't say they were they chickened out of it because, honestly, they didn't. But it's it was a mess. I just want to see if they can build off of last season because since joining the conference, they've been largely a doormat. It didn't help that there was consistency, inconsistency for a while since joining the conference at the coaching position because Joe Moglia, he was the coach for the first year. He had to step away due to health issues, came back the next year, then, then retired and let Jamie Chadwell take over. And now that Jamie Chadwell has been able to kind of cook with his own ingredients – this team has been able to perform at a much higher level. I want to see what they can do and if they can be on par with the Cajuns because I think the Cajuns are starting to take over the Sunbelt Conference in a lot of different ways, and I think this will be the first part of it. Now, obviously, I want to see if Grayson McCall, if he can duplicate or build or at least build off of his big freshman season, he probably is going to be a guy in 2022 that is going to be looked at very fondly by a lot of NFL draft nicks. He is he's he's gonna have he's gonna be his third year, and I feel like there's no doubt in my mind that some guys in the NFL would love to have him if he continues to perform in a certain way. These draft heads, they're gonna be loving this thing. Meanwhile, the Raging Cajuns, they're firmly in that first tier. It's a lot like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFL. You've heard me say it before. But they have damn near everybody coming back. The offensive line is back. The quarterback is back. He's taking full advantage of the next year of eligibility. Levi Lewis is back. And I think he's better than ever. You've got a lot of defensive guys coming back and a lot of power coming back. Yet your, the only position you really don't have coming back in full is obviously your running back's position. But it makes sense what happened. Like you have guys go to the NFL draft. They have bigger opportunities for running backs versus, let's say, a Levi Lewis. Levi Lewis has all the talent in the world. I'm just not necessarily sure in terms of his draft card. It doesn't necessarily feel like it's going to pan out all that well, at least to me. My big question is, can they manage the expectations that are on this program after the way they started 2020 off with a huge win over Iowa State? The expectations are a lot higher than I think they've ever been. 
I'm not saying it's a college football playoff or bust mentality because it's not. I'd probably say a Sunbelt championship win or bust type year. It's going to be considered a disappointment if you don't win a Sunbelt Conference title this year after what you've been building. And I'll say this. If we see Billy Napier do it again, because here's the thing, and I'm going to dub back towards the previous regime, Mark Hudspeth. HUD was continually hitting his head on the 8-4 and four ceiling. Billy Napier has shattered that glass ceiling like when Stone Cold came out on Monday Night Raw back in the day. Every time you heard that glass shatter, you knew stuff was about to get real. That's what happened. When Billy Napier came aboard, within two years, he shattered the glass ceiling of 8-4. and four, And in 2020, he absolutely shattered the glass ceiling of, hey, we can't beat Power 5 opponents. He hadn't beaten one, or at least a reputable one. Now that Iowa State looks a lot more reputable, you get a lot more run. And you hadn't done that really since A&M back in 96. This is absolutely going to be one of the most important years for the Cajuns. Because if Billy Napier has that 10-2-11-1 season, we all kind of expect, keyword expect, I think that Billy Napier could be out the door and going somewhere else because it's that consistency. It's building up multiple double-digit win seasons. That's why we saw, look back, Scott Satterfield. It took him a few years after coming over from the FCS, jumping to the FBS, and developing this program to be what they were at App State. You saw him jump over. Eli Drinkwitz may have been an outlier, and he jumped over to Mizzou the first chance he could. I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen. Does Is this the year where something is good enough to where Billy Napier can like move up? More importantly, get himself ready for what he wants to do, and that's go coach the Alabama Crimson Tide. Just the way I think about it. Mountaineers are on the first tier, but they're very precipitous. Like they, Their fall could be huge because their reputation precedes itself. Last year was a down year for the program, and it was, it was wild to see how quickly this team just dropped down in terms of what you expected out of them. Zach Thomas isn't there anymore for what felt like five years of the program. It'll be interesting to see how things go offensively for them. That said, they had 17 of 22 returning. Sean Clark is going to have this team back in contention for the East Division, no doubt in my mind. Arkansas State, meanwhile, they are rebuilding in a big way right now. I'll talk about 17 of 22 starters for, Georgia, for App State. Arkansas State is returning hardly anybody. And it's wild because you got Blake Anderson. He's out at Utah, he's out at Utah State now, after sticking with the program for a long time. After that school had kind of become a revolving door for head coaches: Hugh Freeze, Gus Malzahn, Brian Harson. Think about those names for a hot minute and tell me those aren't some interesting names that were kind of plying their trade at Arkansas State and only stayed there for one year. That said, the roster had a, has a lot of holes that will need to be filled, and they dropped to the third tier possibly when the season's all said and done. The former Vols head coach, Butch Jones, has some work to do. I'll kind of go through a couple more here. Then we got Shehan J. Arasha coming up in a minute. Georgia State got a little better compared to what they've done in past years. They were 6-4, and four, ending with a three-game win streak. That said, defense optional last year. So I'm almost certain Georgia State is going to be a team you got to, like, 
keep an eye on to see if they can go up a tier or go down a tier. And more importantly, keep tabs on over-unders in the first couple weeks because UNC and Army, I would definitely put the over on the UNC game over Army because Army definitely has a little bit more of a methodical offense to where I wouldn't be surprised if they if it's over under it might very well push is what I'm getting at. South Alabama, the Jaguars, they have been one of the most consistently inconsistent teams in a long time. Hopefully Kane Womack can right the ship, but it feels easier said than done from what I can kind of tell. And just what I've seen over the last few years. I could also include a program like Troy. Troy a few years ago beat LSU and they are in the third tier. I think it's just the fact that they haven't necessarily been able to kind of build off of that. And you lose the head coach a couple years later, Neil Brown. He goes up to a bigger school. One team I'm really interested in, though, Texas State. I think Texas State, without a doubt, is a team that's like, they look like they are getting into relevancy. Will they? We'll see. Yul Monroe, I'm just... Give me another year. They're at the bottom of the tier for a reason. I'm not going to spend much time on them. I want to see what what we see from Tommy Bowden, but I just don't know. All right, we take a quick time out. We're going to get on Shehan J. Araja next, talking Texas football right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. And they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037 The Game. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. And we're going to go over to the Lone Star State right now on the 1037 The Game Hotline. Currently a free agent in the world of sports riding, but definitely has covered the Big 12 and also Texas football for Dave Campbell's Texas football in the not-too-recent past. That is one, Shehan J. Araja. Shehan, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you coming on the program. Let's start off at the tip-top when it comes to the Longhorns. That's head coach Steve Sarkeesian. First head coaching opportunity since being terminated back in 2015. And he had a couple of stints under the learning tree of one Nick Saban. What kind of job did he, in, he inherit after Tom Herman spent three years running this program? And obviously, I think a lot like LSU, the expectations at Texas are really sky high. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, I think coming off of last season, I, I mean, Texas was 7-3. and three. They were by no means a bad team, but... I think at the end there, I mean, Tom Herman in some ways was a victim of his own early success. And also, I think he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way and kind of lost that benefit of the doubt just in the way that he handled some things. And so that's a positive for Steve Sarkeesian coming in, is that he's coming into a roster that is really talented. I mean, they've recruited at a top five level over the last couple of years. And so, you know, there is talent on this roster. They've done a, a poor job of developing it over the past couple of years, but uh, but there's a lot to work with there. The, the flip side of that is that a lot of the best players from that 2020 team are off to the NFL. Guys like Sam Cosme at left tackle, Sam Ellinger obviously at quarterback, Caden Stearns at safety, Joseph Osai at pass rusher. So 
they are going to have to break in a lot of new pieces all across the, the team, really. The one place that you do have a little bit of returning experience is on the offensive line. But other than that, I mean, it's going to be a lot of new faces. But I think that that also gives Steve Sarkeesian a chance to take a really talented roster and kind of shape it in his own image. And speaking of that offense, I think obviously one of the other questions that I'm having is he hasn't announced the starting quarterback. I was listening to his press conference on Thursday night, and he said they haven't announced the starting quarterback at this time. We're only seven days away from the big game against the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Is that beneficial to the Longhorns, keeping that close to the vest, headed into the contest? Or has there been somebody that you've heard that's kind of been the guy that's pulled just a little bit ahead? Well, heading into the offseason, I think that we all kind of expected that Casey Thompson was going to be the guy. This is his, going into his fourth year in the program. Uh, you know, he had a great, admirable performance. But what it sounds like the last couple of days, last couple of weeks, is that Hudson Card, the redshirt freshman, has really been impressive and has been taking a lot of the first-team reps. So I do think that there is, like, a legitimate, legitimate quarterback battle still going on. I think that they still aren't 100% sure which direction they're going to go. And I think there is always a little bit of a benefit when the other team doesn't exactly know who to prepare for. You've got to use valuable practice time to prepare for two different types of quarterbacks. And the flip side of both of that is that neither of these guys have really played meaningful snaps uh, other than, again, that Alamo Bowl performance, which was real late in the year. So you don't, as Louisiana, you don't know a whole lot about what's coming your way. Now, the one thing that I'll say, too, is that these guys aren't dissimilar players. I think that uh, you know, Hudson Card probably has a bigger arm. I think that Casey Thompson, uh, you know, can move a little bit better. But, I mean, both these guys can run. Both these guys can pass. Both these guys have big arms. I mean, there's a reason that both of them were recruited by the University of Texas. So I don't think that there's too much difference between these two guys uh, in terms of preparing for them. So I think from that perspective, it's a little bit of an advantage that Louisiana doesn't know what's coming. But I don't think it'll be a huge advantage. Talk right now with Shehan Jayaraja by the Texas Longhorns, and will there be any difference in how the offense is going to be run depending on if it's Hudson Carr, the young freshman, who like a lot of the fan base has talked about him potentially being the starting quarterback week one and who they want to see, or Casey Thompson? Yeah, I think that with uh, with Hudson Carr, you know, with, uh, the thing that you like about him is potentially his upside as an explosive passer. I mean, that's really what he was known for during his time at Lake Travis. Uh, and, you know, with Casey Thompson, though, we saw that in the bowl game, that he does have that ability. It just, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily have that cannon of an NFL arm like Hudson Carter showed at times. And so I think that that's really the difference what you're looking for. Now, the flip side for all of this, because we're obviously going to talk a lot about quarterback, I, I do think that a big part of this is going to be that, you know, the receivers right now are very unproven. I mean, the guys that they're looking at running out there, uh, Josh Moore was their leading receiver last year, but was by no means kind of a true number one option. You're bringing in a true freshman in Xavier Worthy. Looks like he could be a starter right now. Jordan Whittington is a very, very talented player, but again, one who's been injured the past two years. And they had a kid named Troy O'Mary who they're really, really optimistic about, but he had a leg injury last week, and so he might struggle. It's hard to say right now uh, what you're going to expect from those receivers, and I think that that's also going to play a part in what you expect from these quarterbacks. It's right now with Shehan Jayaraja. What, there's also a lot of other positions that need to be filled, namely outside linebacker, because obviously Joseph Osai, he practically led the team in all these like significant stats, like tackles for loss, sacks, forced fumbles. Who's been stepping up in that role? Yeah, they've really tried to address that in a big way. You know, they're, they're also kind of moving from not from a more three down front to, or sorry, more of a four down front to more of a three down front under new defense coordinator Pete Kwiatkowski. And so they were really aggressive in the transfer portal 
trying to get some guys who can maybe fill those roles. And and one of the guys who they brought in was a kid from LSU, Ray Thornton, who I, I believe is a fifth-year eligibility player. They brought in a guy from Notre Dame. They brought in a guy from New Mexico State. So they really tried to add bodies in that linebacker room. And even when they were running with only you know two or three true linebackers, they were pretty shallow last year as well. Um, you know, and I think that that Ray Thornton is going to be a guy that you hear a lot. Uh, there, there's again the kid from Notre Dame whose whose name I don't want to mess up. It's Ov something, and uh, Ovo is I guess what we can call him. And so he's going to be a factor in that room as well. And they're also going to try and get some dynamic pass rush from guys who are down linemen uh, like Mora Ojimo, guys like Alfred Collins, and then even from the interior with a guy like Keandre Coburn. So the big thing with uh, Pete Kwiatkowski's defense is that you are going to be able to come in and you're going to be able to come at it from different angles. That's really the benefit of playing in more of that three down front with the side along pass rushers. Uh, and so I do think that they've done some big things to try to address that role over the offseason. Jumping back over to the offensive side of the football, one player that broke out last season without a doubt by John Robinson. He was named a preseason All-American not too long ago by the Associated Press. Is he going to be the most impactful player for this team? Yeah, I think that he has to be. And, uh, you know, the, the big thing with Bijan is that he's obviously a great runner. He also has shown some stuff as a receiver as well. And so I think that a lot of their first-year offense is going to be built around that. I, I mean, because when you can run the ball, obviously, at a high level, and, and Louisiana knows this, it really just changes the way that you're able to play offense. And with four returning offensive linemen, you know, they, they have two guys who are in their fifth year of eligibility in Denzel Okafor and Derek Kerstetter. I, I think that that gives you some optimism that this is a team that should be able to run the ball with some consistency. And, and again, I, I think that talking to Steve Sarkeesian, the big thing that he says is that he likes that he has that as a starting point, that he has Bijan Robinson as a starting point. So we're going to be able to run the ball with relative consistency. We're going to be able to have explosive plays from the running back position, and we'll be able to flex him out as well and also use him as a receiver as well. And, and if that's the case, I mean, again, I, I think that this first-year offense is probably going to look a little different than what a third-year offense might potentially look uh, look like. But really a big part of this is when they have consistent playmakers and consistent talent, they want to find ways to get them involved. We saw that last year with Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and Najee Harris, and I think it's going to be very similar with Bijan Robinson really being a head and shoulders above the other skill guys. I got one more about the football team itself and in terms of week one. What's going to be the biggest key for the Longhorns to open up the Sarkeesian era with a victory? Gets the Cages team that's without a doubt coming in with a metric ton of hype. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. And, I mean, I'm very, very high on this Louisiana team as well. And so I think that for Texas, the biggest way that they could lose this game is by making mistakes, by beating themselves. Because this is a Louisiana team that is so well-coached, so well-disciplined, uh, and they are able to take advantage of your mistakes on both sides of the ball. And so if you're Texas, that's going to be a big key is that you can't beat yourself. Even if you have to play a little bit more vanilla, I mean, from a pure one-on-one talent perspective, obviously Texas is can really almost beat anybody, right? I mean, that's how talented this team is. Uh, and it's going to be more about, you know, don't miss this assignment, don't mess up this pass, don't throw an interception, don't drop the ball. Uh, and so, I mean, it, and, and that's easier said than done against a team like Louisiana who is so disciplined, so well-coached, that's developed at such a high level. And the other thing, too, I think, is that Texas has to find a way win that battle in the trenches. I mean, and obviously Louisiana, that's what they're known for. They're known for their big bodies on both sides of the line, uh, especially on that offensive line unit. You have to get a consistent pass rush, not just with your, your rush linebackers, but I think you have to try to win those battles up front with three guys as well. So 
it's easier said than done because Louisiana is a really, really good team that can go and beat teams of this caliber like they did Iowa State last year. Uh, but it really is going to come down to, I think, winning that battle in the trenches and also just not making mistakes. All right, I got about a minute here. Let's get into the one of the other big conversations. Texas joined the SEC before we kind of get out of here. Is when we look back, things moved at a breakneck pace from a Wednesday afternoon in the middle of SEC media days to just a couple weeks later, both the Longhorns and the Sooners received an invite, and they're coming over in 2025. Was this more of a long-term plan in your mind for what you've been able to kind of surmise with Texas, or was there something that really caused both these programs to make the plan to exit stage left? Yeah, I mean, and, and look, this is obviously primarily my read on it, but I think that when they looked at what Texas A&M has done over the last decade, it is, I think it's very difficult for them to stomach seeing them go to the SEC. And this is a program in Texas A&M that during their time, the Big 12 was pretty much middling. I mean, they never really had, they won the conference in 1998 and never really were competitive for it really ever again. And then to see them go to the SEC and immediately be a team that has competed for the conference right away, that has competed for New Year's Six game, that has competed even last year for national championships in the college football playoff, that is hard to stomach. And so I think that a lot of this for Texas is we're seeing that team succeed. We're seeing us fail. We're seeing Texas A&M kind of surpass us in every single way with that advantage. How can we reverse that? How, how can we take our place as you know the rightful flagship of the state again? I think that that played a real part because – no, this college football is so much about rivalries, and I think that for Texas, seeing their former rivals in Texas A&M really raise the profile of their program makes them step back and think, well, if they can do it, that's maybe a way for us to do that as well. And we'll see if the gamble works, because I, I think it's easier said than done. I think A&M's yep. done a lot of things individual but uh, to kind of raise their profile, but I, I think that's a huge part of it. Shayhan, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, man. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, that was Shehan Jayaraja, currently sports writer, free agent, but also, more importantly, just an absolutely wealth of knowledge when it comes to the Big 12 and, as you heard, Texas college football. We'll take a quick timeout, get Chris Cozard for a quick kind of idea of what's going on with Hurricane Ida back after this on 103.7 The Game. Considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay off me, I'm starving. Now back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. And we'll hurry up and get out to the 1037 The Game hotline. We're nearing the end of the hour. I want to get an idea of what the latest is involving Hurricane Ida. Expect to make landfall, I believe, midday tomorrow. We're going to talk with Chris Cozart of Caleb. Why, Chris, how you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And last night I saw a lot of the tracks who were skewing more towards shifting eastward, more along between home and Morgan City. Has it remained on the same track according to a lot of the models? I know I saw two that saw it skew a little more westward. Have those changed? Are more of the models in conjunction going more east? Well, you know, as we get closer to this, and as we always have every time with hurricane season, we always get these east-west jogs, and some of them are more pronounced than others. Uh, the westerly jogs haven't been as pronounced as the easterly jogs, which is a very good thing. So, like you were saying, yesterday there was a little slight westerly jog in some of the models, not all of them, 
And now we're getting back to another easterly jog, the 12Z GFS. That's one of the best ones that right now have really been handling tropical systems fantastically the last uh, year or so. It is coming out right now, and it just shows another easterly jog to where it actually pushes it uh, east of Terrebonne Parish now. Now, again, we're we're so close to game time now with this that – we're, we're really fine-tuning exactly where it's going to make landfall. But if I had to really give a real you know, gut instinct, it's still going to be Terrebonne Parish, maybe just a little further east from there. What should we expect here in Lafayette Parish as well as the surrounding Acadian areas? Because obviously we don't just cover Lafayette 137 the game. It's almost like a good bit of the – it's all of the Acadian area. What should we kind of expect? Okay, so in Lafayette, a uh, safe estimate right now would be – Wind speed somewhere probably 60 to 80 miles per hour sustained uh, as we get into really Sunday night into early Monday morning. So we are looking at another, unfortunately, another one of these night landfalling hurricanes where it's just going to be dark and windy when it comes in. So Sunday night, Monday morning, you're going to get wind 60, 80 miles per hour. We can't rule out gusts maybe as strong as 90 miles per hour. Now, if it does track a little bit further east, those numbers will start to go down a little bit. We are mainly in Acadiana concerned with the wind threat with this because of the track of it. It's going to be a close call. We are walking a tightrope with this. If you're across the eastern portions, uh, eastern parts of Acadiana, that would be really St. Martin Parish, Iberia, St. Mary Parish. Well, you're going to increase those wind speeds I just said by about 10 to 15 miles per hour. And there could be some storm surge issues in and around St. Mary Parish. Possibly into Iberia Parish, we're looking at storm surge in the Vermilion Bay area, somewhere in the four to seven feet range. So uh, storm surge isn't necessarily a huge concern either because, again, of the track. So eastern Acadiana has a higher threat of seeing some, let's say, stronger winds than what they saw with Delta. And then Lafayette's going to be probably just a little bit stronger than Delta. And then anything further west, if you're in Acadia Parish, if you're over towards Jeff Davis Parish, getting close to Lake Charles, then you're really knocking down those winds maybe to 40 to 50 miles per hour. So uh, Lake Charles is definitely breathing pretty easy here that they don't have to go through uh, another nightmare like last year. Thank goodness, Chris, because I, like, I, I can only imagine having to go through this again. I mean, they've had to deal with over the summer near flooding situations again. It's like, it just feels like Lake Charles needs at least like one break for a minute. But, Chris, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Stay safe out there. Yep, you too. Thank you. All right, Chris Cozart, everybody. Appreciate him coming on. Give us an idea of what's going on, especially when it's here in our neck of the woods. And once again, stay safe. Make sure your preparations are made. Keep track of everything going on, 1037thegame.com. We'll keep you posted right here as well. We'll be back after this. Hour 2 coming up next. We get to some more college football stuff. We're going to lighten it up. Hopefully, you're ready to talk some college football as well. 337-706-0111. Back after this on 1037 Game. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but. 
kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And welcome back. Hour number two of two of Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And hopefully you're enjoying yourself on the Saturday. And also you're getting prepared. You're getting ready to stay safe. Or if you're heading out, because trust me, I understand completely a lot of people are, are heading out of town. I completely understand that. Make sure you stay safe. And try and make sure you're able to kind of get out of town and get off the roadways before before nightfall. Because I've seen John Bell, John Bell Edwards put up something essentially saying it's time to make final preps for the storm should be made until by nightfall tonight. And we should probably get start getting some effects on of the storm tomorrow morning. So make sure you stay safe. Of course, we're coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Hey! And you can hear this worldwide through the free 1037 The Game mobile app, 1037thegame.com. And if you miss anything, we've got it up on 1037thegame.com. And wherever you get your podcast, just search Under the Dome with CD and you shall receive it. Also make sure you subscribe and leave a five-star review if you will. And speaking of five, I was going to do this to end the hour. Obviously, Hurricane Ida kind of threw a little bit of a monkey wrench into my original plans. But earlier this week, Charlie Watts, the late great Rolling Stones drummer, passed away, and it was a it was a damn shame to hear that he passed away. And it got me thinking. And last week I did top five ninety sitcoms. This has probably become more of a regular thing. Me doing this, maybe not every single week, but I feel like I should at least consider doing this on a semi regular basis. Not every time somebody passes away but do a top five every now and again. And, and I'm going to get to some college football stuff again, but I want to at least get this segment out of the way. I don't want to put it at the end of the show because I've already got something in mind for that. Don't you worry. But I want to give you my top five all-time favorite Rolling Stones tracks. And a lot of them have to do with the fact that, you know, I think Charlie Watts had some great, drum tracks and some great drumming in a lot of these i'll give you some also receiving votes first arv i think i've got to go with rocks off brown sugar sympathy for the devil monkey man can't always get what you want is very much outside of the arv but it was very close and i was like i I just wanted to keep it simple and have just four representing the honorable mention, the also receiving votes, if you will. But we'll start off with number five, and this is a jam if it ever was one. Just that intro. Again, one of the things I love about the Rolling Stones, just over the years of me listening to them, like Start Me Up is probably one of my least favorite songs. Beast of Burden... Charlie Watts, you can just hear the drum, and it just hits a certain way. It's Rolling Stones when they have more of a bluesy feel to the track. That's where I'm going to lean on. So Beast of Burden is number five off of Some Girls, number five all-time favorite Rolling Stones track. Number four is a song that I feel like I got burnt out on a few years ago, but it still deserves a lot of love.
again, like Keith Richards, I think definitely deserves to be one of the top ten of all time. The the grooves he had, Mick Jagger's like swagger was on another level. But there's no doubt in my mind that Keith Richards deserves to be considered probably one of the top like ten guitarists of all time. If not top, I'd say top fifteen, definitely top ten. Just in my personal preference, I I put a few other ones in that mix. But Keith Richards, who is going to outlive all of us, by the way, he's going to live forever. He's going to be uh, he's going to be with the cockroaches. Uh, Keith Richards is going to live forever, ever in my mind. But he absolutely had as some absolute grooves, and this was one of them. And this is a great track one, uh, side one, track one. It's a perfect way kick off an album that's filled with some great tracks that stood on the outside looking in. Again, Monkey Man can't always get what you want. Definitely on that outside looking in. And this was probably a little bit higher, but the fact I heard it so many times during the College Football National Championship a few years ago, it burnt me out of the track for a little while where I had to kind of like not listen to it as much anymore. It's a, it's a lot like when you hear like Fortunate Son. I can never hear that song again, and I'd probably be happy. No dude disrespect to Creed's Clearwater Revival, but I've heard it in every single war movie ever. I can go without hearing it for a little while. Okay? It's going to leave it at that. But number three on the list is a song that has something to do with Let It Bleed, which is off the album Gimme Shelter, but didn't actually appear on the album. And I think it's got to be Honky Tonk Women. It was a song that was released as a non-album single. There was a song called Country Honk, but this was a way better song and I just the vibe you hear this song you immediately feel like you're in a bar room like late 60s early 70s or better just a bar in general like you hear that song it puts you in a really good mood in fact on my way here I was hearing a live cut of this on my way here a live version of honky tonk women I was like okay I'm in a good mood I'm ready to roll I'm ready to get this day going this is a jam if there ever was one that's number three Number two is off of Sticky Fingers, and it's got to be Can't You Hear Me Knocking. The second you hear that intro riff, again, Keith Richards has some absolutely gems on the guitar. We talk about Charlie Watts. By the way, Charlie Watts, big credit for him for using the cowbell. I think Can't You Hear Me Knocking is number two on my list. And just, just listen to this riff. The buzz coming out of it. It's like, oh, so damn good. A, and the, the groove of it. And, you know, again, Charlie Watts, it's simple but effective in this drum beat. So damn good. Rolling Stones, I think they absolutely crush it when they have these more, like, blues-oriented stuff. Because I was listening, I've been listening to a lot of it the last couple days just to get an idea. Because I have, like, my personal favorites, like this, Beast of Burden, but I want to get get a better idea and listen to a lot of other like big hits they've had and some more deep cuts just to get an like more of a base to where I can say hey I want I, if I if I hear a really good deep cut from Rolling Stones I'm going to put it in my top five I didn't necessarily hear a true like deep cut that was like I immediately like, oh this is absolutely going to be in my top five now or am I also receiving votes but number one. It goes off of what I was talking about earlier, and we bookended here with a track off of Some Girls. 
and I mention track one, side one, track ones. I'm not going to. This isn't high fidelity here, but this is a really good track one, side one off of some girls, which it was off the same album from from that Beast of Burden was on, which is a really good one. Miss You is number one. Seriously. Like it just it just perpetuates that uh, that that beat then the harmonica comes in. It's really probably like I'd say odds are probably one of the my favorite songs, probably top maybe in the top twenty. Top twenty tracks. Definitely in my if we were doing high fidelity style, it would be in my top five side one track ones. Maybe that'll be a conversation down the road on another show in a podcast form. But this, I absolutely love doing these little exercises just to hear, just to get my opinions out on different things. If you like it, let us know. 337-706-0111. Again, my honorable mention, I'll reset that real quick. Then we'll get to some actual football talk for a minute. Honorable mention, Rocks Off, Brown Sugar, and Sympathy for the Devil. I'll also put Monkey Man in there. But Monkey Man is probably like very much my cutoff line before I just immediately bring up my top ten. Can't always get what you want. I think the big chill disqualifies it for the top five in my mind. I could be completely wrong here, but that's just the way I kind of lean on this. But we're going to go out to the 1037 game hotline. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Hello. Okay. I uh, guess they didn't want to talk. They didn't want to talk on the air, at least. But yeah, I think that's kind of where I have my top five landing. But I want to get into some college football season predictions real quick. Like, oh, looks like we're gonna we're gonna try it again. We're gonna try this one more time. And if it doesn't work, we're gonna go ahead and move on. But hello, you're on under the dome. Hey, TV, what's up, bro? Hey, T, what's happening, partner? Not a whole lot, man. Just a lot of picking up. Yep. It's sad that we need a hurricane to make us up our yard. Isn't that incredible? I know, I know, right? Thankfully, like, I usually, I actually, we actually recently got it cut, like, on Sunday. I think we might have to get one more, one more run in before this hurricane hits, because you know it's going to be just, I mean, thankfully, I, I say thankfully, you know what I mean, we're on the west side, where it's a lot more going to be wind as opposed to rain, like the last time, so I, I at least I think it's going to be a little bit, a little bit less precipitous, but it's still going to be a pain in the neck. Yeah, well, Look, Lake Charles needed a break, so yeah. with anybody any harm to the east, but okay, it is what it is. Yeah. So anyway, hey, got a question for you. What you got? What is your I don't want to score, but what is your prediction on UL, Texas, and LSU, UCLA? I appreciate the, I, pre, I appreciate the questions, T. I'll give you LSU UCLA this week. I'll give you UL Texas next week. How about how about that? We meet in the middle. I give you LSU UCLA, and I'll give you UL Texas next week. Okay. That's all good with me, man. Hey, look, stay safe, CD, and uh, love your show, bro. All right, I appreciate that, T. I'll be safe. You stay safe as well, along with everybody else out there. By the way, stay safe out there. But let's get out to the phone lines. We got another call. So we're going to go, go ahead and get this call now. And then I'll give you my LSU-UCLA take. Then we'll get some overall predictions over the course of a season. Let's go ahead and 
get to it right now. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Okay. I think I know exactly who that is. And I don't think there's any estate sales going on, so maybe TV's Dylan's keeping himself a little a little busy while trying to maybe get some last-minute preparations for Hurricane Ida. Anyways, so we have some college football stuff going on. I'll get to LSU-UCLA right now. I think LSU wins by two touchdowns. I just feel like LSU has a better defense. They're markedly better on offense. I think there's going to be some intrigue there. How is the offense going to be? I know O keeps talking about spread offense, spread offense, spread offense. But I, I'm almost certain we're going to see what Max Johnson's really all about. That's how I am. Max Johnson has all the potential in the world. And I, I like what I've seen from him. But can he do that in a big stage like the Rose Bowl? I'm going to go ahead and say LSU wins by two touchdowns. I'll give you score predictions next week. And you know what? Screw it, T. I'm going to give you my UL, what I think UL Texas is going to be. I think UL loses but covers the spread. I think they cover that nine points. I believe right now, go ahead and pull it up right now because I haven't seen the latest spread. And this is what happens when I kind of am just going under the gun here. I believe they were nine-point favorites last I saw pulling up Odd Shark right now, which is one of my favorite places to go. Just look at general the way the betting lines are leaning I can type in Texas. It's ironic how, like, oh, hey, they have, like, Texas. Whoops, I think I passed them up. Okay, so Texas, right now, it's a a 9.5-point spread. I wouldn't be surprised if the Cajuns could get within 9 on them. Now, if that spread moves anyway, and, again, I'm using Bavada as a reference, 9.5-point dogs are the Cajuns. If that line moves back to, like, 10 or 11, if you're not hammering that, that spread, you are out of your damn mind. Not like this thing opened up as two touchdown favorites for for the Longhorns. I think there's every chance that the Cajuns could keyword could pull off the upset. But I'm gonna lean more towards Texas getting the win because of the fact that Texas, you know, that barring anything out of the ordinary from Governor Greg Abbott. Austin is going to be packed at Darrell K. Royal Texas Memorial Stadium. That was something that was missing last year for a lot of teams, especially the Iowa State game. I think if Iowa State was like even like a quarter capacity, it would have been a very tough environment to play in to open up the season. But I think Texas does get the win. Cajuns do cover, though, or at least push, because there's some like betonline.ag, which is a lot of people do use that. My bookie, it's been nine, nine and a half. Bet now has like them as eight point favorites in terms of the Longhorns. So I'm intrigued to see how that goes. Let's try and get one more call in. Then we're going to get to some college football stuff in terms of predictions, so on and so forth in the next segment. And then at 1130 we'll have on Joe Pachowski going to talk some uh, in, some uh, UCLA, get a preview of their UCLA-Hawaii UCLA game, and also UCLA-LSU. UCLA Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Anthony, it's Chad, man. What's going on, bud? Hey, Chad, what's what's happening, brother? Hey, man, that uh, that point spread went up a, a tad bit. Last, I think I checked at the beginning of the week. Uh, it was at eight points from Bavada. I guess it went up about a point and a half. 
Yeah. Um, but man, I think it's I think it's gonna be a ten point game either way. Uh, whoever shows up, I think UL is prime for upset. And man, whenever I, I, I see 2019 over with the LSU team, uh, when Ogeron says this is the most important game, and he came out and said it in his tenure. I think they waxed the floor when UCLA, man. Uh, I don't think my purple gold glasses off. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just think they're going to be too much, and I think they're getting disrespected. Uh, and I think it's a whole new vibe this year with LSU, man. I think, I think they beat them by two touchdowns myself, man. I, Take I, care. I, Thank you, bud. Hey, t- Chad, hold on one second. Darn it. I was wanting to get his opinion on this because I think, and I'm, I'm going to say this real quick, then we'll take a quick timeout. If, and keyword there, if Texas does lose to the Cajuns, I think the Cajuns should be put in the top 15 like, right away. Because you're right down ranked 23rd. You beat a team that's a couple rank, rungs above you. And it's a big Power 5 opponent. Move them up. That's that's kind of where, where I'm at on this. But Chad, you stay safe along with everybody else. Hopefully you are kind of making those final preparations. Going to be back after this right here on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game. And 1037thegame.com. Going to have on Joe Pachowski in about 10 minutes. And also, we're going to get to some stuff in terms of where I see some of the conferences lying and who's going to be the last team standing in terms of champions when it's all said and done next right here on 1037 The Game. CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United, suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. About seven or eight minutes, we're going to get into what's going on with the UCLA Bruins. Uh, they've got a big game today against Hawaii. We're going to go ahead and kind of spend some time with some college football predictions just by conference by conference because I want to, I, I've been wanting to do that for a good while. So we're going to start with the two conferences that we know and love, and I'll give you my thoughts on how they go. And the SEC and the Sun Belt, I'll give you the East and West divisions just for fun. So we'll start with the Sun Belt Conference. I think it's going to be the Cajuns coming out of the East. I think it's Coastal Carolina. Oh, me, Cajuns out of the West and Coastal coming out of the East division. And they'll be squaring off. I, I'm, I'm hoping the Cajuns do indeed host the game of Cajun Field. Get a measure of revenge and a receipt, if you will, after last year. I'm going to go Cajun Sunbelt Conference champions. I'm not saying that as a as a, that's not a homer take. That is absolutely the way I kind of see it. Now, the SEC, I'm going to go. It's be similar to what we saw last year. Florida, I think Florida's going to be really good. I think they're going to be improved. I, I'm I, This one I'm much more skeptical on. I'd say, again, it's either going to be Florida or Georgia. You're not going to see South Carolina or Kentucky. Tennessee's not going to get up that, in that range. Vanderbilt's at the bottom tier. They're never going to get into an SEC title game. I'm going to lean towards Florida because I think Dan Mullen 
has proved himself once again to be the quarterback whisperer. Mind you, he had Kyle Trask, and that helped out a lot, and Kyle Pitts. Those two guys, that was a great combination. Who's going to take over that spot? Anybody's guess, but I am intrigued. I am intrigued enough. Now, when it comes to the West, I think there's no doubt it's Alabama, right? It's until somebody proves to me that until somebody beats Alabama out of the West. I mean, let's be honest. It's a lot like Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. You beat Alabama, you get a golden ticket for the most part to go to the SEC title game. Auburn back in 2019, exceptions to the rule, but that was just that one shining moment Auburn needed and Gus Malzahn needed to save his job for at least one more year. But again, I think Alabama does win the SEC championship, beats Florida or Georgia, whoever it is, but I'd probably go more Florida than anything. Now, when it comes to LSU, I mean, LSU, I think they're second or third in the SEC West. Texas A&M has to prove something to me. In fact, I saw something yesterday, and I was, like, blown away by this. And it's this guy on Twitter, Big Game Boomer, and he posts these things on a regular basis, like, power rankings of like different food stops at different programs or yeah, different universities and stuff. But he put this up last night. I was like, what the hell are you thinking? This is this was a ridiculous idea. And he put out that the Aggies would win the West and win the SEC championship over Georgia. And Florida would be ranked fifth. For what it's worth, he put Alabama second and LSU fourth. Sorry, no world is that happening. And as Lil Nas X would say, nah, he tweaking. It was an absolute mess to see that kind of thing pop up on my Twitter. Now, in terms of the other conferences, let's go to the ACC first. I'll go ACC. It's it's Clemson. I think that's going to be inevitable. I think this is a year where Clemson's just going to, like, it's going to be a slight rebuild, but I feel like Dabo Swinney, he's not going to have his Clemsoning moment, and I don't see anybody else really Stepping up to the plate in the ACC, that could be the champion. That's just in the way I, I'm seeing it right now. I could be completely wrong on this, but I just don't see anybody else. Meanwhile, we go with the Conference USA. Let's go with them now. Conference USA is going to be tough to kind of predict this year, and I'm just... I'm I'm confused. I'm interested to see how it's going to work. I don't have a, necessarily a whole lot of faith in Southern Miss as opposed to other years. I'm sure they're going to be a really good team. Marshall was somebody that I was like, okay, take notice of that program out of the East. Can UAB like continue to be one of the reigning defending champs? I'd hope so. But I think I'd probably go Marshall more than anything out of the Conference USA. The American Athletic Conference, that one is just going to be, I think I think it's Cincinnati or bust again. Because Cincinnati has just been a beast for a good while. They're, they're building something special there. I think they're going to be coming out of the AAC as champs when it's all said and done. Mountain West, I'll, I'll just go Boise State. I think Boise State takes them out in West Conference. The Pac-12, the Pac-12 is going to be like pretty wild to see this year. And I'm just going to go, I think that you'd probably see 
USC probably come out of the Pac-12 and be your champions when it's all said and done. Because I just don't see, and I don't see Oregon like really being a champion in my mind in terms of like winning the entire thing. I think they're they're a couple steps away. They're I mean you just got to have a really good quarterback play to get to that point. Pac-12, the Big 12, I I feel like this is going to be a a cheap way out just because it feels like for years we've been saying Oklahoma. But I just have a feeling like the fact you got Spencer no, no, not Rattler's gone. No, Rattler's still there. Okay, my my brain just had like a fart there. So I think Spencer Rattler is there. So I'll go ahead and go Oklahoma, but I wouldn't be I I would not be surprised if Sarkeesian could get Texas in real big contention for a Big Twelve title game. I'm intrigued though to see how that Big Twelve is going to shake out. If you see Lincoln Riley get into another Big 12 championship. Now, if they get the college football playoff, I'll get to that in a moment. But Big 10, I think it's the Ohio State University. I think they're just a freight train. Unless somehow somebody Jim Harbaugh manages to finally beat his program and beat his team that he's never been able to beat, beat his Alabama and win all of his other games. I think it's the Ohio State University getting it done out of the Big Ten. College football playoff, Final Four, I think this one's pretty easy. Alabama, I think we got to go with Clemson, Ohio State, and I'll go controversial with this last one. Florida. Let's go Florida. Like Because I think in my mind, there's... A, Something's going to happen out of the Big 12 and the Pac-12 that's going to like take them out of the conversation for this year. Pac-12 every year just gets eliminated seemingly overnight over the first like week of the season. But I think that I mean Florida could very well be a like 10 and 2 team with one of their losses being the SEC title game against Alabama. I think LSU-Florida is going to be one of the toughest games of the year for both teams. One of the toughest games. So I think Florida absolutely has every chance to get it done. It's either going to be Florida or Georgia again in the Final Four. That's kind of just the way I see it. We'll take a quick timeout. We'll get to Joe Pachowski talking UCLA Bruins, part of the Mighty Bruin, which is a great newsletter if you're a UCLA fan. We'll talk about that program next and also what's going on in the Rose Bowl because he's actually out there tailgating right now. Get an idea of what the vibe is out there at 11 o'clock in the morning our time. I believe it's 9 a.m. their time, so he's out there tailgating real early. So we'll talk to him next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Can't believe we're just seven days away from the start of LSU and Cajuns football. Week zero, though, it's underway right now. From the 
preps to the pros and everywhere in between. I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Let's get back under the dome with the world-famous CD on Acadiana's Sports Station. 103.7, the game. All right, welcome back to Under the Dome with CD, and we continue to kind of have a little bit of a enemy perspective. Get to know your foe here on Under the Dome with CD because obviously this time next week, LSU will be over in La La Land taking on the UCLA Bruins and our next guest, He's aboard the 103.7 The Game Hotline. That's going to be Joe Pachowski of the Mighty Bruin. But he's out there tailgating, and we'll get to what he's got on the grill right now. But we want to crown you the absolute king of tailgating with our ultimate tailgate giveaway built by St. Landry Lumber. You're going to score an Old Smoky Grill, a $500 specialty meats gift card, a Swamp Box cooler, Kodiak tumblers, four of them, four tailgate chairs, a pair of tickets to both a Raging Cajuns and an LSU football game at Cajun Field and Tiger Stadium, as well as, wait for it, a $500 Visa gift card. You can sign up today in the 1037 The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com. Free to enter and free to join for your chance of scoring the ultimate tailgate giveaway built by St. Landry Lumber. And now we get over to the phones. Joe Pachowski, the mighty Bruin, he's out there. Maybe brewing up something really good right now over in Los Angeles near the Rose Bowl, heading into the big game against Hawaii to open up the season. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing all right. That's that's a heck of a prize package. I'll tell you that. Oh no, it's absolutely um, it's absolutely amazing. It's a damn shame I can't win it. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Um, I mean, it, with all that meat, oh man, whoever wins that's going to be set all set. Um, we're all set here. The tri tips on the grill. Uh, we got two tri-tips smoking right now, and uh, we're getting ready to, to go in and watch Hawaii. Um, I'm just hoping that by, by talking to you, um, looking forward to next week's game, isn't an indicator that the team's doing the same thing. So I want to see them see them stay focused on Hawaii today and uh, worry about start worrying about LSU tomorrow. Exactly. 2.30 kick here, 2.30 our time, I should say. And that's going to be a really fun one to see. But, you know, one of the big things for me is, how important is this year for Chip Kelly? I was hearing Kirk Herbstreet on College Game Day a little bit earlier saying that UCLA is kind of his dark horse pick, but Chip Kelly, fourth year with the program, and you want to see him get back to their winning ways. You have to think it's either you win or keep it moving for him this year. Is is the hot seat that hot over in La La Land for the head coach of the Bruins? It might be. Um, if he can't put together a winning season – it may, it could be his final year. He's got one year left on his contract after this. The only reason why, if he if he doesn't pull off a winning season this year, the only reason why the, the athletic department might keep him around would be because they can't afford to pay off pay the buyout uh, for or pay keep paying him for next year um, while hiring a new coach because they've been they've been running deficits the last few years and, and the pandemic certainly didn't help. I definitely would agree with you there. Meanwhile, you know, obviously some of the players that are kind of taken away, that big takeaways that we're hearing nationally include, you know, Michigan transfer Zach Charbonnet. He's the turning head for the Bruins, according to a lot of reports. Kirk Herbstreit even said it, doubling down on mentioning his name. What can you say about him and how impactful he's going to be for this team this year? 
Well, I think the Bruins are going to have a thunder and lightning combination at running back. Not only do they have Zach Charbonnet, but they've also got Britton Brown, who transferred in last, who was available last season. He transferred in from Duke, and so between the two, those two backs, it's going to be a thunder and lightning combo, which uh, is going to force teams to, to play the run and hopefully open up the passing game for Dorian Thompson Robinson. Talk right now with Joe Pachowski right here on one hundred three seven The Game and. We are usually on 1037thegame.com. Apparently we have some technical difficulties. We're going to try and get that back up before long. But, hey, if you miss anything, we'll have it up on a, in podcast form before too long. What do you say about the quarterback play for the Bruins heading into this season? I know the, the first depth chart came out. Dorian Thompson-Robinson is going to be getting the start, the senior. What do you say about him and what kind of offense we're, we could expect to see in about seven days' time when LSU plays UCLA? Well, DTR is is a true dual-threat quarterback, so if he doesn't hurt you with his arm, he's going to hurt you with his legs. Um, the, the problem that he's run into over the first three seasons is that he seems to have a tendency to fumble. Um, a lot of times he fumbles without even being hit. So as long as he can hold on to the football... Uh, the Bruins, the Bruins will play a lot better. They only they finished last season with a three and four record, but the four games that they lost, they only lost by a total of fifteen points. They were fifteen points away from being undefeated, and now they're now the team is a year older. Um, they've bulked up under the new strength and conditioning coach, and uh, and everybody's looking for a big season from the Bruins. I kind of agree with you. I think we're all expecting a big season for those Bruins, especially, you know, Ed Ogeron. He said earlier this week, and I was intrigued by this statement, that the UCLA game is the most important game for this program. Is this going to be the most important game for UCLA this year? Well, if, if you ask if you ask Chip Kelly, uh, the most important game is the game that they're playing this week. Um, that, means, that means the most important game of the season today is Hawaii. Um, the most important game tomorrow becomes LSU. But for Bruin fans, um, it's a big one. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we're looking forward to having, to having uh, I think they said about 20,000 uh, LSU fans coming into, coming into our house next week. But, uh, I mean, no game is ever bigger than the uh, Crosstown showdown against the, against the Southern Cal Trojans. I agree. Joe Petrowski right now, part of the mighty Bruin and obviously, we need, let's get into the conversation about the UCLA-Hawaii game. Right now, UCLA, according to Bavada, which is one of the places I like to look at in terms of the spreads, currently 18-point favorites. Some of them have a 17-and-a-half and lowest 17, according to my bookie. But what are you seeing from this contest that makes you think that UCLA could just come out of the gate strong with a good win over Hawaii? Um, it was the improvement of the defense last season. The defense played a lot better than they did in 2019. Uh, they brought the, uh, Chip Kelly brought in uh, Brian Norwood to coach, coach the defensive backs, and he really made a difference. The defensive line was able to put a lot of pressure on the quarterback, and that's one of the keys to today's game. Uh, Hawaii's got a real mobile quarterback in, in Siobhan Cordero, and, uh, and so the Bruins are going to need to contain him and keep him from running all over the field, forcing him to put the ball up, so that Norwood's defensive backs can make the plays downfield. And, Joe, one of the other big headlines over the last week or so about the Pac-12 and, in turn, the UCLA Bruins has to be the fact that you're seeing an alliance be formed. There's no paperwork in place. 
it almost feels like it's a handshake agreement between Pac-12, Big Ten, and the ACC to where they're going to try and build themselves up even more by having them work together on all fronts, but especially in the world of college football, where you're going to see potentially Big Ten, ACC teams go over to take on the Pac-12 in some non-con games just to, just to bolster all their resumes together to try and make sure you can secure more spots at the table when it comes to the college football playoff. What was your reaction when you started to hear about this rumbling of an alliance and now we got the official word there's plans for this to actually happen? Well, the the Pac-12 and the, and the Big Ten have always kind of had a friendly relationship. I mean, they play each other most years, at least, uh, in the Rose Bowl game, the, the champion from each conference. Um, so adding the ACC into that mix, um, I think it, is, it only strengthens it. Um, I think it's going to be they're talking about maybe dropping back to eight conference games instead of nine that they that the Pac-12 plays now uh, to allow for additional games with the alliance. Um, I think it's I think it's a good thing for college football. I mean, UCLA's never really shied away from from playing big opponents. Obviously, they've got LSU next week. Uh, they've got Georgia on a future schedule. They've got. Auburn on a future schedule. They've got Wisconsin on, you know, coming up there. I think in 2027. So they've always played big name opponents. In fact, as of today, they're still one of just three teams in all of college football that have never played a uh, an FCS opponent. Now that's going to change here. I believe it's next season when they when they host the, uh, I think it's Alabama State here at the Rose Bowl. They're bringing in a couple of uh, uh, of. Uh, um, the uh, historically black colleges and universities um, to, to play in the Rose Bowl. They're going to bring their bands out. Um, it was unfortunate that we heard we got news this week that that the LSU band won't be make won't be making the trip next week. Um, but UCLA's never really shied away from anybody. Um, in fact, they've had teams shy away from them in, in both Rutgers and Michigan, who canceled the uh, contracts with UCLA. I got one more for you, and I know you're out there at the Rose Bowl. I know a lot of Tiger fans are going to be making the trek over. Maybe they're going to be making the trek a little bit sooner with Hurricane Ida making her way over here tomorrow. What can people expect in terms of the Rose Bowl, the atmosphere, and more importantly, how the hell do you get uh, parking over there? Because I think that's something we're all going to be wondering about. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you this. First and foremost, I hope everybody in Louisiana is safe from that hurricane. Um, I know, I know. You know, down in New Orleans, they 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 took they took a couple of big hits there, and and so I hope everybody gets you know stays safe and and as well. Second, though, as far as tailgating here at the Rose Bowl, um, I got to recommend that you that you come into the Rose Bowl and you park on the north side of the Rose Bowl. It's a golf course. They'll let you park on the grass. They'll let you park almost anywhere. So they keep everybody kind of in line, but it's really some of the best tailgating in the country, and uh, and we we look forward to having uh, having the LSU fans visit us next week. Um, I know we've had you know we've had uh, fans come in from Oklahoma, we've had fans come in from Texas, we've had some really great fan bases come in and play UCLA, and and I'm looking forward to having the LSU fan base come in next weekend and and uh, looking forward to having some fun. And uh, hopefully the Bruins come out with a win next week. Joe, appreciate you coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And more importantly, enjoy Week Zero college football. Go Bruins. All right. That was Joe Pachowski. Pachowski, excuse me, not Pachowski. Pachowski. Appreciate him joining the program.
And hey, you know, we're about to wrap up the show. I got one final take for you, and we're going to get to that next. And it's going to be completely out of left field, at least somewhat. If you've been seeing my social media, you'll kind of know where I'm leaning on this. But I got one final take, and I'm so excited about it. Back after this on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is far from your ordinary sports talk show. I am the voice of the voiceless. What other show has more pop culture references than an episode of Family Guy? I just don't want to be involved in any of that mess. Now back to the famous CD on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Appreciate everybody for listening in. I know we had, I was getting a text and then eventually I got an email and I got to appreciate people out there. Friends in high places, let me know that the stream is currently not working. We're going to go ahead and try and get that fixed. But hey, if you missed the interview, we're going to have it up. We're going to have the whole show up. Just make sure you check it out on 1037thegame.com or wherever you get your podcast from. Here's the thing. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Make sure you go search Under the Dome with CD. Give it the old, just push that little plus button or the subscribe button or follow or heart, whatever it is. Make sure you go do that. You subscribe, however you get your podcast, leave us a five-star review because it, help, it helps us get noticed. Because it's one thing to be noticed by everybody because it is, we are KDNS number one sports station for a reason. But obviously, we want to make sure we're more known. Not like I'm a 3-6 Mafia most, none own, must, most known unknown. There we go. Got that tongue twister out there. But want to make sure everybody knows that this is the place you got to go for sports talk on a Saturday morning. But let's go ahead and get one final take in before we head into the weekend. And I head home because I need some shelter before this long, long, you know, mess with the Hurricane Ida. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. Oh, my goodness. Last Yesterday afternoon, or the last couple of days, actually, because I started hearing rumors, Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the greatest soccer players of all time he was considering leaving Juventus Juventus I think I've been pronouncing that right but he was gonna leave and there were rumors he was gonna go over to the rival team of Manchester City but after consideration and something else all of a sudden Cristiano Ronaldo and I've talked about this before I'm a big Manchester United fan, pending a medical. He's back in the red. He wore the red many moons ago, but the captain of the Portugal national team, the man that is considered one of the, again, one of the greatest in the sport, he's back. And I couldn't be any happier. He's mind you, Manchester United, they've won one and they had a draw in game two of the season. They play tomorrow. 
if somehow Ronaldo's in the starting 11, I'm going to be doing backflips at my house while preparing for the storm. Hell, I'm going to try and, like, thankfully it's a 10-30 game, so I should be able to be, a, like, watch it. I should be awake and able to watch it. Now it's all about trying to find where it is because I think it's either on Peacock or NBC Sports or whatever. I'm going to have to make an opportunity to, to check it out this weekend and make sure you also stay safe, everybody. I'm in the show with that. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Like, stay safe because it is going to not be a fun time for the next, in the next like, 24 hours. I know, like, late that night, it's supposed to, like, really start hitting here. And that's what sucks. We're on the west side, which is a better side if there is really a good side of a storm like this. It's possibly going to be Category 4. So, again, I want you all to stay safe. If you're making your way out of town, make sure you try and find ways to get out of get out of town safer. And more importantly, make sure you keep it locked right here on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. We'll have updates, especially on our website, over the next few days. Until then, CD with you. I'll be back with you next Saturday. As long as the good guy, the big guy upstairs is willing to let me get on here and pontificate for you for two whole hours. And I'll say this. It's going to be a new sounding show next week. Go ahead and just leave that for you. And until then, talk to you later. Later.